Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And like every week, I want to thank you all for joining us and tuning in and being here to become inspired and empowered and guide us and guided wherever you are on your journey. So no matter what stage of life you're in, maybe you're just dating and seeking guidance on how to be the best partner you can be. Maybe you're navigating a really tough time in your current relationship. Maybe you're just contemplating divorce or you're thick in the process or even out the other end, wanting to make better choices and redefine yourself and your life. You have come to the right place. And you know that, you know, that here is where you can become empowered. You can gain the information, the education, and the inspiration that you need so you can make the best decisions for you, no matter what path you choose. Now, you also know that I love bringing you amazing guests and guests that I feel can truly add to your experience, no matter what you're going through. And I know that divorce is completely overwhelming, entirely scary, so confusing. And when we are starting on that path, We all tend to go down or think to go down first, that antiquated path of hiring hiring a lawyer, both sides do it, and we start that typical legal battle that we all know so well. Well, my guest today is a family practicing family lawyer, but she has a very different approach to how she handles family law, which I am so excited to share with you because not very many people go about divorce in this way, especially a family lawyer. So she has so many great things to offer and I'm excited to introduce her to you today. Sarah Intelligator is a divorce attorney in Los Angeles. She earned her doctorate from Southwestern Law School. She graduated from UCLA. And she has been practicing family law since 2008. She has also been a yoga instructor since 2000. And she organically bridged her two worlds, coining the term holistic divorce and family law. In helping others through their divorces, Sarah realized that she could help them avoid divorce altogether. So welcome to the show, Sarah. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having me on. And to be able to talk about this today, you know, as a, as a divorce attorney, I mean, think that most, I'm not just totally generalizing here right now, but most divorce attorneys go into it because the divorce is what's going to pay the bills and, you know, bring the business. And the fact that you are looking at this from a completely another perspective at potentially avoiding divorce altogether is Totally up my alley, even as a divorce coach, I'm not an advocate of divorce, but I love this whole idea of what could we do differently to even get ahead of the divorce process itself. So let's, let's dive into that and tell us, you know, how you got started and where this pivot and the shift happened for you. Sure. So I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I was uh, practicing for a firm for about five years and I absolutely hated it. Um, It was a family law firm. I felt like it was just soulless work, billable hours, um, dealing with 
really serious human emotions and dealing with people at a very vulnerable time in their lives. And um, I, I was like, I can't do this. So I left that practice. I left that firm and I decided I, I need to figure out what I want to do with my life, essentially what I want to be when I grow up. And um, I, but I was like, well, I still need to pay the bills. So I'm still going to have some clients of my own while I do this. But while I figure out what I want to do, that that's what I'm going to do. So um, I, I went out onto my own. I was practicing a little bit of family law on the side. And um, I was actually in a, a, in a meditation class, um, funnily enough. And I just kind of had this almost vision of like a bridge going between like me as a yoga teacher and me as an attorney. Um, and I realized that having taught yoga already for a very long time at that point, that my job and the thing that I love to do was to guide people through difficult situations and to give them the tools that they needed to navigate those situations. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized that that's so organically meshed with family law because you're dealing with people at a time when they're you know vulnerable, you're dealing with high emotions, you're dealing with them at a time when they actually do need so much personal guidance. And obviously my job isn't to give them that I'm not a therapist, but if I could use the tools that I had in my yoga teacher bag, so to speak, then I could give them that something extra and make my work more meaningful. And so that's kind of how I coined the term holistic divorce and family law and how I arrived at that. But then that kind of in all my years of practice, um, it kind of took on a shape that is slightly different. Obviously, people come to me because they're getting divorced. They're not coming to me to avoid divorce. I'm not a therapist. So they they're not, you know, I see them when they're already at that stage. But I started to realize that in every couple that is divorcing, um, and, and myself included, I actually went through my own divorce a long time ago. I, I started to recognize these patterns, the same patterns in my own divorce, in my own relationship, in other people's relationships. And they were almost present in every single relationship that failed. Mm. Um, I don't like to look at it as failure because I think yeah. ending a relationship isn't necessarily a failure. It's an opportunity to learn and, and to have growth and to um, transcend yeah. and, and maybe get into a better situation the next time. And so I, I think it sometimes can be a gift. It doesn't feel like that in the moment. But um, if we learn from it, it can certainly contribute to our personal growth, which is, is a fabulous thing. So I started to recognize these patterns and I started to think, how can I get this message across to people that they can avoid divorce altogether if they avoid these patterns that I see repeating themselves over and over again. And so mm -hmm. I've written a book, it's, it's um, slated for publication in November called um, Live, Laugh, True Love. And it kind of talks about those patterns and, and how to hopefully avoid divorce so that people never end up in my office in the first place. But if they do, then, you know, my goal is to try to get them to the finish line to get them to a better place when they leave my office than they were when they walked in. And they almost always are like, I love to watch that growth and that empowerment that happens um, from people going from the lowest moment potentially in their entire lives to like a transcendent and empowered place. It's really amazing to watch. Yeah. Wow. I love that you said that because I think that that is very unique. 
it's a very unique approach that most family lawyers don't have. So, you know, when you're going to, you know, seek a family lawyer, typically what I see too is most people are they're seeking information or all of a sudden they're scared their spouse wants to leave and they are been forced into a corner of trying to find one and figuring out like what that looks like and getting information or feel threatened and need to know what their rights are in a certain way because it's starting the process. And when we go into one, I mean, I remember even going into mine when I decided I wanted to get divorced. I was terrified. Like to me, lawyers were so not they're not anymore thankfully because of the work that I do but I was so intimidated and I was so scared of that process and going into that office and listening to all of this stuff that I didn't understand but also not in the emotional place to be able to hold space for even understanding it and so how does that approach change for you from that person who's walking into your office or on that call and says here's where I'm at this is what I'm looking for how do you shift it so that they can have that transformative experience with you and not have it be, you know, like therapy in a way, but also give them the legal information that they want. Because likely, I mean, not always, but a lot of the times the divorce has already started and they're proceeding with it. And what can they do with you that's different than what they would get in, you know, a typical family lawyer? Yeah. So I have to say that almost a hundred percent of the people who come in for a consultation with me or even just call me on the phone and have a 10 minute phone call with me um, when they're kind of looking for an attorney and deciding whether they even want to proceed with a consult. A hundred percent of the people say that they feel better after they've spoken to me than they did before they spoke to me. And part of the reason is that you know, and this is what makes family law so unique is that we're dealing with human beings, right? Other areas of the law, for the most part, we're dealing with corporations, we're dealing with businesses, we're dealing with money. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas family law really has to do with your entire life, every aspect of your life and the things that are most important to your life, like your children, um, where you're going to live, if you're going to be able to support yourself, how you're going to survive a household that previously supported two people now needs to, uh, you know, one household now needs mm-hmm. to support two households. And it's like, how are we going to do this? And so um, there is that very intimidating step of I need to call a lawyer. And the word lawyer, even in and of itself, is intimidating because most people who are going through a divorce are just regular people. It's, you know, 50% of the population in the United States gets divorced. Regular people who just, they, they need to get some information and advice, but they never thought they'd be in a situation where they need a lawyer. And right. they never thought they, you know, and most of them aren't in a financial position to even afford a lawyer. And so, um, you know, to your point, to your question, what can I say to them? What can I tell them in that consultation that kind of helps bring them to a place of, of calm and, um, and demystifying the process mm-hmm. is really, I, you know, I answer their questions because everyone comes to me with lots of questions. People who come to get a divorce lawyer for the first time, they don't know anything about the law. They don't know anything yeah. about their rights. Um, people have all these misconceptions or they've done some Google searches or they've talked to their friends and right. they're completely misinformed. Um, or, you know, they read something in their Google search, but it's not exactly accurate because there are so many nuances in the law that, uh, you know, an attorney who does this day in and day out knows about. And so just 
getting the information alone. I don't have to say anything except for walk them through the process. It it already brings them down to a place where they feel that they have a little bit more power and control in a time when they feel completely powerless and out of mm-hmm. control because they feel like they have some knowledge and some information. And so they, they can kind of move forward. Um, but, you know, and a lot of times these consultations do kind of turn into therapy sessions. You know, people start mm. crying for the most part. They break down. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, right. this happens every time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Phoenix, you know, um, and um, and that's that's normal. I want them to do that. I want them to have that moment where they're realizing that they're in a divorce attorney's office and this is real and it's happening. And that's so human. And and like this is your moment of catharsis, like let it out. I think that's wonderful. And so I, I support that. And I encourage that. And a lot of times I use that moment as an opportunity to tell them that things are going to be okay. They're going to come out the other side. I've never had anyone come out the other side and say, oh, I regret everything. You know, like they're always much happier when they come out the other side and it's all over, even though in that moment, it's so scary and they're so um, uncertain about their futures because there is some certainty at the end and they realize that they're entering a new chapter that feels very exciting and and fresh and, and like, you know, full of possibilities, which is really mm-hmm. cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that mindset is totally how I feel too. How do you get them there? You know, when they're coming to you and they're scared and they, and they want information, how do you start to shift that perspective to see it as an opportunity and not just a massive loss or this fight or this financial battle, or now I'm going to be losing my kids and, you know, I need to make sure that I have full custody and I want the house and, you know, all the things that I think people come into that divorce process with all of the uh, this these fears and these wants and these needs especially if it wasn't their their choice and now they're faced with a situation that they didn't ask for and they want to protect themselves as much as possible and you see a lot of that separation happening like what what was once family money is now mine and yours and you know the kids are now mine because i had them out of my body and you know i you are a terrible father or whatever have you you know there's so many fears that put up these roadblocks and obstacles to the process. So, you know, walk us through how you try to, you start navigating that differently to start shifting that mindset so they can start to look at this as a potentially, even though you didn't want it, a potentially an opportunity for growth for you and, and positive change. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's what um, makes my experience in my training in teaching yoga, it makes me so uniquely equipped to handle this kind of situation because I don't think there's a one size fits all approach to law. Everyone is unique. Everyone is different, even though the patterns that end all relationships are kind of the same. And I see the same patterns day in and day out and the same scenarios to the point where I can even predict if, you know, someone, the the other party is a narcissist or something, just need to know. I just look at the situation and I'm like, okay, that's what's happening here. Like the patterns just repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. Each individual is extremely unique, right? They have different emotions, different needs. They behave differently. They have different sensitivities. And so I really use um, the first couple minutes of a consult to try to get to know this person just to kind of see like when I, for example, I'll start walking them through the process and I'll gauge their reactions. You know, are they crying? Are they getting angry? What What's going on to kind of figure out how to best approach this? Um, in terms of 
of how I speak to this person and how I communicate with them and get through to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that is super important to me is being honest and upfront with everyone. I don't want to create any unrealistic expectations. So if someone, you know, and obviously I, I need to say I'm only licensed to practice in California. So I don't, I can't speak to what happens in other jurisdictions in terms right. of the law, but um, you know, at least in California, I can say, well, this is what is what the law is in terms of custody. And this is very likely what a court would do, barring any extenuating circumstances. And so I know you want sole physical and sole legal custody, as we refer to in California, but realistically, the law doesn't support that. And so I want you to have at least realistic expectations about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have a magic wand and I'm not going, I could be the best attorney in the world. I'm not going to make that happen. And of course, a lot of people are disappointed to hear that. And that's terrifying because, you know, now I, I, I'm speaking in generalities here, but mostly it's mothers who, um, are more terrified at that prospect of yeah. being away from their children for 50% of the time than fathers, but a lot of fathers obviously fight for, you know, for their fair share of time as well. Cause they're, um, you know, good parents and they want to be part of their kids' lives. And so, you know, I think that it's really important to give the, deliver the truth, create realistic expectations, but then also say, look, let me give you some examples of some people who, you know, some clients I've had, Um, you know, it's fine parallel situations that I've seen in the past where someone came in devastated about the scenario and where things kind of worked out at the end. Mm. Um, you know, I, I like to, to create rapport with my clients and give examples from my own life. I'm an open book. I love to share my own experiences. And, and, um, you know, I think also the fact that I had gone through my own divorce, although amicable, um, I'm in a position to understand the emotional components Mm -hmm. of what that kind of earth shattering moment when you realize this is ending feels like. And so I can kind of really empathize and put myself in, in my client's shoes. And so I really try to do that. I try to build, um, you know, empathy and make sure that my client understands what they're going through so that they feel like I'm a support system. Yeah. And that I think is the key piece right there is that empathy piece, because that's what puts you, I I feel, and puts other, any other, you know, family law attorneys ahead of their, of the game when it comes to how they can support others is when they actually know how it feels. You know, it's one thing to understand the process of, of the law and the family law and how it all, you know, dismantles on a legal, in a legal sense and a process sense. But those feelings, those emotions are are like none other. You know, it's not something that you can actually truly understand how it feels unless you've actually been there yourself. I mean, you can wonder all you want and you can assume, but until you know that feeling, it's really hard to, to hold true empathy for that and to know that those emotions are often what is getting in the way of them making rational decisions, of them making the right decisions when it comes to putting their kids actually first in making choices, you know, and, and looking at the bigger picture in terms of what's best for this whole situation in the long run. What do you think is, um, 
you know, some biggest mistakes that people tend to jump into when they are looking for a, a lawyer right away. You know, I see a lot of times, you know, I get, I get this all the time on Instagram, like people that I don't know, can you refer me to a family lawyer? Well, I mean, they're not every lawyer is created equally. In fact, they're not at all. And so for me to be able to refer someone based on knowing nothing about their situation, knowing nothing about their approach, their values, you know, the complexities of what they're going through, I feel like I, you know, ethically and morally cannot because I just can't throw out a name to you like you might just get from a friend. You're going through a divorce and some friend who's actually never been divorced, nor are they getting divorced, is giving you the name of a lawyer. So where do you feel people sort of um, are making mistakes and what could they do differently when they are starting this process of looking for a family lawyer or starting that homework piece? I think that's an excellent question and probably one of the most important things that people need to know um, when entering this process. And one of the things I always tell my clients, uh, or not my clients, actually, prospective clients, when they call me, um, they speak to me on the phone maybe for 10 minutes. They they say, okay, I want to retain you. And I say, well, you may want to schedule a consult with me first to get to know me because we haven't talked for that long. Um, But you may also want to call five, 10 other attorneys, Mm. because there are some firms that are extremely aggressive, lots Mm. of lawyers, you're going to get billed your entire life savings and then some, Um, and they might be very good. They might fight Mm. really well for you, but sometimes fighting increases the cost and the acrimony in the litigation process, and it could be avoided altogether and totally unnecessary. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's not necessary. Sometimes it is necessary. And maybe that's the kind of firm that's right for you. Some firms are, um, you know, smaller little boutique firms, but you have a couple of attorneys there. You have a receptionist. Then there are attorneys who are sole practitioners like me. Like I don't have any associates. I don't have any paralegals. Like you get to talk to me and only me. There's nobody else answering the emails. And that's right for some people. It's not right for others. Mm -hmm. And so there there's that component of like what size law firm are you looking for and do you want many people working on your case or just one um then there's the question of what is the hourly rate and Mm -hmm. um, what is the retainer you know most family law attorneys at least in california we require a retainer um which is an upfront sum a fee that is used as an advance against your fees. So if your retainer, I'm just throwing out a number, is $5,000 and an attorney's hourly rate is $300, they talk to you on the phone for an hour, they'll deduct $300 from your $5,000 retainer. A lot of people don't know that because they have to cough up a large sum of money. So a lot of times they'll find an attorney who says, oh, the retainer's $1,000. And they're going to go with that attorney because they think it's cheaper. But the Mm -hmm. thing that they don't realize is that $1,000 at $400 an hour or $300 an hour, whatever it is, is going to be very quickly. And then you're going to have to replenish that retainer. And so it's almost a little bit dishonest in my mind because you're kind of misleading people to believe that their divorce is going to just cost them a thousand dollars. So, you know, can you come up with the retainer? Is the retainer reasonable and reasonable includes, is it too low? Not just too high, but too low. Um, You know, realistically, you know, a lot of people ask me, how long is this going to take? How much do you think it's going to cost? And that's the million dollar crystal ball question. (laughs) Isn't it? My my bar license didn't come with a crystal ball. I can't answer that because it's going to largely depend 
on the extent of the property. Um, it's going to depend on how litigious the other side depends to be, which, uh, you know, which a lot of times is contingent upon who they retain. If they retain an attorney yeah. who's super aggressive, then it, it increases the cost of litigation. If they they retain an attorney who's super cooperative and wonderful to work with and we get along, then we move things along quickly and, and hopefully painlessly as possible. So, you know, asking these kinds of questions and talking to many attorneys and really listening to what they're saying, asking the right questions. You know, when I send you an email, who's going to answer it? Um, how many attorneys are going to be working on my case? What do you bill for each attorney? Do you bill for paralegals? Do you bill for secretaries? Um, what is your retainer? Um, what is your hourly rate? Uh, you know, things like that. They're no, no one's going to be able to tell you how long your case is going to take or how much it's going to cost. So, mm -hmm. you know, I know people want to know, and that's a really, really valid question, but it's not one that most attorneys can answer. And if they do, that might be a sign that you should maybe not retain that attorney. Um, so interviewing more and more attorneys, it's not necessarily to glean the information about the divorce process, because you might already at that point no, but mm. it's just to kind of understand about who you're working with, because I think that there's no greater, um, like I have such tremendous respect for the fact that somebody who is a complete stranger, I'm a total stranger to them. They talk to me for 10 minutes, an hour, even for a consult, mm -hmm. and they decide that they want to place all of their trust in me at a time when they're extremely vulnerable and entrust me with their life, their children, all of that. I, I hold that very dear and I have tremendous, tremendous reverence for that. And I think that, you know, because you're making such a big decision at a time when you are in this vulnerable emotional state, that you need to kind of step out of it for a second. Just say, okay, you know what? I'm making a really important business decision that affects the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like really important. And you need to approach it critically and ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. These are the kinds of questions you should be asking too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. There are so many, there are so many good things that you said right there because, you know, going back even to the retainer, <laughs> that can be the scary part. And you, you create, you pay this retainer up front. I mean, I remember I did that in my first, in my divorce too. The first month I retained this lawyer and she was, it was the third person that I had interviewed, but I was going up against a very litigious other side. And so I knew that I was going to have to meet it there, you know, somehow in order for this to go in the right direction. I didn't want the fight, but sometimes you don't have much of a choice depending on who the other side picks. Mm -hmm. So I chose this female lawyer who I felt really comfortable with, you know, she feel, I felt that she was more aligned with what I needed and, and, and how I needed to hear it. I didn't want to, to ensue this battle, but I also wanted to be called out on what's realistic. And when I'm overstepping, or I have these ideas in my mind of what I think that I can attain from this divorce and isn't really what normally you would, you would be able to accomplish in even the court proceedings, you know, I liked to be called out, just bring me back down to, to life. But what I noticed is, when you paid that retainer at the beginning, I mean, I had to liquidate some of my own investments from when I was from when I was younger to pay for this lawyer because my my ex husband had cut me off of finances, and paid five thousand dollars for her and was gone in the first month. 
because I had no idea how to navigate using her effectively. So I was asking all of these questions. I was spewing all of my emotions. I would be triggered by something and send her a quick email only to wake up the next day thinking, oh my God, what do I do? I take that back or let's change this or you know, so much of using her as kind of my sounding board, which was helpful in my learning, but it wasn't helpful for my financial situation and using her effectively. Yeah. And and I think that it's also really, um, you know, I have some clients who are very conscientious about their fees. They're like, I've worked over this retainer. I had to borrow money. I want to make sure that I'm keeping track of where I'm at with that retainer. And so one of the things that they do is they'll ask me, um, you know, Hey, where am I at with this? And one of the things when I have a client like that, when I know is if they are sending me a lot of messages, I say something like, listen, I'm happy to answer your questions. However, please know that every time you send me a long email, I have to read it. I have to respond to it. That's going to make the fees go a lot quicker. So you're, I'm more than happy to answer but just want to make sure we're on track. And so kind of that communication about the billing, obviously, if there are things that have to be done, we have ethical obligations to our clients. If there's a motion filed, we have to respond to it. If a Mm -hmm. opposing counsel sends a letter, we have to respond to it, things like that. But, um, you know, those emails and those phone calls are really, people don't realize that they do add up a lot and they do drain retainers. And so um, even just having a conversation in the beginning with your attorney and feeling comfortable to have that open dialogue about like, look, this is my, and, and if they don't understand that, then mm-hmm. that's kind of maybe not the right attorney for you because that means that attorney is not sensitive to the whole situation and the totality of of your circumstances, which is part of divorce litigation, right? Yeah. And I love that transparency. I think that is really key. And part of my role too, is working with them as their coach is to send them into that first initial consultation, equipped with all those questions that they know they need to ask. I'll often go with them as well if if they want that. Um, and also to help them do their homework so that they can use their lawyer, their, their lawyer time really, really effectively. Like say, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm only going to have a 30 minute meeting because this is what I want to propose. And this is what I want to talk about, or I'm only going to put together one email instead of 17 to, you know, express what I need and present my side. Um, But I wanted to shift a bit and talk more about, you know, how you are looking at this now in terms of how to, of preventing divorce. And I know that your book is coming out in November and you do in that book, talk about these patterns that you see showing up with people who enter your office. Now, can we, can you share those with us or what you see? So bare bones that we have to go, we're, we're going to go get your book and come out when, you know, once it comes out and learn more, um, yes. but share with us what you do see happening in these patterns that continue to show up. Okay. So um, I break the patterns down into six categories called the, the six fail factors or the F words. Um, and the very first one, which, you know, obviously I go to into much more depth and talk about it from the perspective of the dating process and how to, how to exactly, um, approach this so that you don't repeat these mistakes. There, you know, there are lots of like worksheets and things like that, but, um, the first F word is fundamental values, meaning you and your partner need to share fundamental values or you cannot progress into the relationship. I can't express how many times I see divorcing partners who 
are together because they think they have so much in common when they meet. Um, and they might, it, it's superficial things, but they aren't fundamentally aligned in what they want in life. Maybe their upbringings and their backgrounds are really different. Um, they don't necessarily want to approach life in the same way. And the biggest problem is when you're dating, you're not thinking about these things. You're mm -hmm. thinking about, Ooh, you know, Oh, he's so attractive or she's so attractive or, you know, um, wow, I have so much fun together. There's all this infatuation that kind of clouds your judgment and precludes you from asking the right questions to ascertain whether or not you share fundamental values truly deeply mm -hmm. um, and to establishing that before you go to the next step and, and letting the relationship progress. Um, the next one is fear and fear manifests itself in many different forms. Um, it can be your inner relationship and you're afraid to end it because you feel that you will never find someone else. You'll be alone for the rest of your life. Maybe this is the best I can get. And if I ditch this, then I won't be, you know, oh, oh, what if I make a mistake? All those things. Yeah. Um, right. And your head, you're, you're, you're having these voices in your head. Um, you know, fear can be, I, I, I'm just, you know, I don't want to be alone. Um, mm -hmm. I want, I want to have companionship. And so an abusive relationship is better than no relationship or, um, you know, any relationship is better than no relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that precludes you from making intelligent, rational decisions because your fear, your fight or flight instinct has taken over and you're not coming from a rational place. You're not in charge. You're not in control of the decision-making fear is in charge. Um, foundation is another one. Um, so I don't think without fundamental values, you can really build a solid foundation in your relationship. But yeah. I think that if, you know, if you do share fundamental values, you need to make sure that you've built a solid foundation for the relationship. And I kind of liken the foundation to the foundation of a house, like you need to build up and you need to have a solid base in order to have a strong house. And I, I break it down into five categories, which I call the five pillars of your house, of your foundation. Um, and they are communication, trust, honesty, respect, and teamwork. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I go obviously into each of those and how to ascertain whether you have those things um, working in your relationship or whether you don't and uh, give examples of, of how those things have not worked out um, in, re in relationships that I've seen. Um, the next one is fairy tale. Mm. Um, a lot of people enter into relationships because there's this fairy tale wedding, or you think there's this happily ever after, and you're then entering into a relationship for the wrong reason, which means you're going to choose the wrong relationship because you're not choosing the person because it's the right person for you. You're choosing this person because you want the fairy tale wedding or you want to, you know, post your engagement pictures on social media or whatever it is. Right. You know, your motives are not pure. And so consequently, you're not going to have the right relationship. It's going to fall apart. Um, it's not built on the right things. It's not you know, you haven't ascertained whether the fundamental values are there or the foundation, you haven't built the foundation. You're just worried about getting to the altar. Um, and then you're, you're sorely disappointed because you have this unrealistic expectation of what a relationship should be. And I think that happens a lot with children as well. When people have children, they're like, I'm going to make a nursery. I'm going to have this baby. It's going to be wonderful. And then you realize, no, it's hard work and it's tiring. And, you know, and it's, it's not, 
that. Um, so uh, the next one is family. Family is, you know, not everyone is close to their family, of course, but even people who aren't close to their family, that's a puzzle piece, right? That's a piece of information that you need to know about this person. Why isn't this person close to his or her family? What, you know, what, uh, what is the background? What's, what's the deal? Because that contributes to the upbringing that shapes and molds the personality of the person. The person is close to their family. I see families interfere with and destroy relationships all the time. You know, family doesn't like new husband or potential husband or potential wife. Um, It causes problems in the relationship because, oh, I'm really close to my family and my family hates my significant other. And they're just talking in my ear all the time, disparaging this person. The other person knows they feel inadequate. These are things you should ascertain because no matter Mm -hmm. how wonderful your partner is, that family interference is going to put a tremendous strain on the relationship um, if it's there. So just family in general. Um, And the last one is fixing. And Mm -hmm. fixing kind of takes on two forms, right? Sometimes people enter into a relationship thinking, I'm going to fix the other person. Um, I'm going to change them. They're, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong for me. This is wrong for me. Doesn't mean the person is wrong or a bad person. It means they're not right for you. Mm -hmm. But I can change that. I can fix it. Um, And it never happens. You know, it never happens. And so you're constantly disappointed and the other person starts to feel inadequate, like they're not good enough because they need to be changed or fixed. Right. Um, And the other component of fixing is you yourself are broken. I I use the word broken, you know, but meaning we have certain unaddressed traumas or issues that maybe inform our decision and life partner because we're coming we're choosing our life partner from a place of, you know, dysfunction and and our past, our history, as opposed to choosing from a healthy place. And so we pick uh, the wrong partner for that reason. Mm -hmm. Really, before we enter into a relationship, no matter how badly you want to be in a relationship, you need to address your issues first. And then you can enter into a healthy relationship in a healthy way, as opposed to picking an unhealthy relationship because you're unhealthy. So that's, um, you know, that that's a huge one as well. So those are kind of, you know, that's the, the very, very basic gist of the book. But then the book goes into, you know, talking about how to figure all of these things out when you're dating to figure out how you share fundamental values, um, you know, to really self-assess and self-analyze and be, you know, really self-aware through the process so that you have a fulfilling and meaningful relationship and a happy life. Those are so important, all of them. And as you're, you're, you're reading those out, I can keep thinking in my mind, you know, that weight of compatibility versus chemistry. And, you know, when you're saying that fairy tale factor and we can, we can fall into this sort of really high chemistry fixated relationship with someone thinking that like, oh my gosh, my Prince Charming has come to save me and, and is offering me this lifestyle that I always wanted. And, and, you know, this, this, um, this way of of living and basing all of those things on that changes over time. Like chemistry is not something that's going to hold your relationship together, but it's the compatibility of those foundational things that you were talking about, like family and foundation and your, um, your fundamentals that are going to hold you together over the test of time. And I see it so often as well, you know, when couples come together, individuals come together at the beginning with that idea of fixing, because we are 
somehow we are attached to the potential of what someone can be and feel like if they're just with me, I mean, I was guilty of that with my marriage. If they're just with me, then they will be better. They will change. And you then develop this codependency relationship over time and not this this interdependence where you're two, not necessarily fully healed people, but you're fully solid and healthy on your own that are coming together to create a relationship, knowing that you're going down this path together, not wanting to fix or change either one, but both wanting to fix and change yourselves as you go down this relationship together. Because you see this so, so often where two unhealed people come together and they use their relationship almost like a Band-Aid to, you know, fix whatever problems they're having at the time. And there's so much what are called, I thought called them like secondary gains when we get into relationships like that, where what is this, what are we avoiding in ourselves, in our own lives, with our own fears by entering a relationship that is based on these sort of superficial extravagances or opulences like our social status like the financial wealth like the you know the friends or the ability to be fixed or feel fixed or feel feel completed by someone else and over time we feel like that's part of how we're growing but that's part of how it's going to end up not feeling this secure healthy long-term commitment which can eventually lead to breakdown absolutely yeah for sure Yeah. I love all of those things because so many couples don't have those conversations right away. I think because we get into relationships really young, the ones that, you know, we end up being with those conversations are not even necessarily on our radar when we're young about like, what are your fundamental values of life? Because we don't really know what they are necessarily until we're growing and learning them. But I also find it curious where we're afraid to have those conversations. You know, now that we're in our second half of life, you may be after divorce, we're scared of, oh, I don't want to scare someone off of being too serious about having the, the conversation of fundamental values or, but you know. I think that that's part of the, um, the inter- you know, da- I, I think dating is an interview. It's a job interview. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as much as it should not be devoid of flirtation, there should absolutely be, you know, flirtation. You should be trying to establish whether there's sexual chemistry and attraction and all that. But you need to dig deeper. It's that's just a superficial level. That's not enough to sustain a relationship over time. And if the other person can't have these serious conversations, it's not like you need to sit there and be like, so, you know, what is, yeah. what is your fundamental value on this? You know, what do you fundamentally value in life? These are things you sprinkle into the conversation every now and then you ask really pointed, intelligent questions to ascertain things that you for yourself need to ascertain because you need to identify your own fundamental values first in order to understand whether that person shares them with you. And then you need to figure out what questions to ask to understand whether they share them. And if they don't, on to the next, you know, like no matter how attracted you are to this person, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how afraid you'll never meet anyone again, it's not right for you. It's like a Mm short-term fix but you're going to end up in my office. (laughs) You know, I don't want that for anyone because it's not fun. No. And, and love itself is not enough. It has to be based on all these things. So when people come to you in that place, you know, how often do you see them going back and and really working on avoiding divorce once you have helped them navigate these pieces? I don't really get to access people um, after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my hope in writing this book is that I get to access people before they get to my office 
or, you know, after they've gotten to my office so that or they've left my office, meaning so that it's not a revolving door. So they don't come back to me. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I have a reach and an access beyond just that limited period that I have with someone when they're already going through divorce. And that's, that's, right. you know, what I was hoping to, to do by writing this book. So your book is perfect for anyone who's even just contemplating the idea of going down that path of divorce. Um, going through divorce. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. getting into a relationship Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, analyzing your own relationship. Uh, You've been divorced and you want to start a new relationship. You want to meet a, you know, life partner. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much for, for anyone Mm -hmm. and any age and any gender or sexual preference. I mean, it's, it's, across the board tips for all relationships, because all human beings just want to love and be loved and in a meaningful way. And I want that for them. I love that. So Sarah, this has been so inspiring and empowering conversation. So tell everyone as we wrap up where they can find you, where they can get your hands on that book and when. Yes. So um, my website is lafamilylawpractice.com. Um, my Instagram handle is Sarah A Intelligator ESQ, which is kind of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And um, my book is available for pre-order on Amazon. It's called Live, Laugh, True Love. And um, it's supposed to come out in November. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so excited to read it because I too am a lover of love. And however, we can preserve it and enjoy it and and protect it. I I I just am so on board with it. So thank you for everything that you have shared today. You have been such a pleasure to have on the show. Um, And any of those of you who are out there and want to make sure to help us grow this podcast by getting this show out in front of those people who need it, please make sure to listen and subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if there's something that you liked here today or an episode that you really liked, please share it with anyone you know who may be going through divorce or even struggles in their marriage or even wants to do a relationship better. This is how we change lives and truly make love and relationships a movement together. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.